Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. God, bring it up this morning to 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 17. I'm going to read in the New International Version. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 17. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, and those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So when you got born again and you were baptized into the body of Christ and he entered you to take up residence in you, you became a new creation. Not an overhaul creation, not a rebuilt creation, but a brand new creation. You start, it was like being born again, and that's why Jesus said you must be born again, because it's a brand new life. You're starting a new life as a new creation in Christ. All the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And this is what we look like in God's sight when we were born again. A new creation, a new person. He forgot about all the old things. He forgot about all our old sins. He forgave us for them, wiped our slate clean, made us a new person. And most people don't realize or honor what God did for us in Christ. We became new creations. He gave us his very life and nature, and we have become the righteousness of God in Christ. And righteousness means right standing. We were placed back into right standing with God. Why? Because we were estranged. We were away from God. We didn't want to have anything to do with God. And so through Jesus Christ, we have become the righteousness of God in Christ. He has made us a new person and we stand before him righteously again. Not in our righteousness. Isaiah said our righteousness is like filthy rags. We stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. Christ gave us his righteousness. And most people don't fully comprehend what that means. We're fully aware of ourselves. We have a sin consciousness, a sense of unrighteousness, unworthiness. And we never feel righteous in God's sight. And this hurts us. This brings damage to our lives. Uh, before we came to Christ, we lived a life of sin, but we weren't conscious of it. I didn't worry about sinning. I didn't worry when I cussed at work. I didn't worry when I smoked or drank or did anything else that was now, would now be considered sin. I wasn't conscious of it. 
I was just doing my thing. Amen. Amen. And uh, most people never look at their behavior like that. And when I met Christ, I became fully aware of my sins. But at the same time, when I accepted him, I became fully aware of his forgiveness, fully aware of the fact that my sins were not only forgiven, but they were forgotten. They were cast into a sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. And so I understood that, but I still had a hard time with it because I didn't feel like I deserved it. I didn't, real, I didn't think I deserved the things that Christ did for me. But I, uh, what I didn't realize the most was that I was made a new creation in him. And my old life with all its sins and the crazy things I did uh, stopped existing. And I became a new creation. And I didn't know that when I was recreated, I became the righteousness of God in Christ. I just learned that I was forgiven and God loved me. And all those years I was running from him, all those years I was doing my thing and not realizing that I was doing things against his will, things that displeased him. I didn't understand that if I sinned, I had an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. One John two one. I didn't understand that if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I didn't realize that. I had an old nature that would rise up every now and then, and I would go back to those things that I did before I came to Christ. But now I felt a sense of guilt, and I didn't realize that I could ask him to forgive me for that particular sin, not the ones he's already forgiven me for, but the new one I just committed. I could ask his forgiveness, and he would not only forgive me, but he would cleanse me from all unrighteousness because he realized that I was the righteousness of God in Christ. I was the righteousness of God through his son, and he wanted to restore me back to that right standing with him. But I had to do it through Jesus. I didn't understand the meaning of the righteousness of Christ. I didn't understand that I became that righteousness. Instead, I carried a sense of condemnation a sense of guilt, a sense of unrighteousness. And when I looked at the awesomeness of God, I actually had an inferiority complex because I compared myself to him. And I, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve you. I'm unrighteous. And he's saying all the time, no, I made you the righteousness of me. I made you that through my son, Jesus Christ. But I felt so unworthy that it robbed me of my faith my faith in God and my faith in the word in the word. I didn't feel worthy. I had a sense of unrighteousness, which is just being more conscious of my sin than I am of his presence. And, and, and I, I just lost sight of the things that Christ did for me. I felt like I had no right to approach God. I felt like I wasn't good enough. I was always under condemnation. And I know I'm not alone with this. 1 John 3.21 says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. I want to read that in the Passion Translation. Same verse in a different translation. It says, My delightfully loved friends, when our hearts don't condemn us, we have a bold freedom to speak face to face with God. I couldn't pray. I couldn't come face to face with God because I didn't have the confidence or the boldness to do that because I felt like I was unworthy. 
I didn't realize I was the righteousness of God in Christ. I didn't realize I had right standing with him because of what Jesus did. And so I shied away. In other words, when I understood that Christ made me the righteousness of God and not only understood it, but received it. When I understood I was the righteousness of God and I received it, then I had confidence to approach God. I don't have to be afraid of him anymore. And that word confidence was translated elsewhere in the Bible as boldness. There's something about this confidence that we need to understand further. Look at 1 John 5, 14 and 15. John says, and this is the confidence, the boldness that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now, I realized when I got born again that God is big. God is bigger than I can imagine. And I also realized he was a very busy God because he's running a universe, not just the earth. He's running a universe. So he was so big and so busy, I didn't have uh, any business talking to him. God don't have time for me. Just little old me, he don't have time for me. But here it tells me that I can approach him with confidence, with boldness. And when I pray, he'll hear me. And not only will he hear me, but he will grant the petitions that I desire of him. In other words, he'll answer my prayers. Little old me and this great big God. And God said, if we pray according to his will, he'll hear us. And you want to know what God's will is? His will is his word. This is the will of God right here. You want to know what God's will is for your life? It's right in there. So we can say it like this. If we pray according to his word, he hears us. Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful to know that that great big God that's running the universe, that great big busy God has time for us has time for you. Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you abide in me or live in me and my words abide in you or live in you, you shall ask whatever you will and it shall be done unto you. Why? Because that's the will of God. If I have his word in me, I have his will in me. I know how to pray. I know what God wants for me. And when I fall short of that, I know I can go to him and ask him and I'll receive it because he hears me. Amen. Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is not just I heard it once. This is in plurality. It means uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. So I know that every time I hear the word of God, faith is coming. Faith is coming to you this morning because you're hearing the word of God. And the apostle Paul tells us in Hebrews 4, 16, let us therefore come how boldly, confidently unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we're not only supposed to come to his throne, but we're supposed to come to his throne boldly with confidence, confidence that he's going to hear me. Confidence that when I know he hears me, I'll have the petitions I desire of him. We have to have that confidence. We have to have that boldness. But the devil has robbed us of it. We don't really know who we are in Christ. 
It's like that song this morning. We're who he says we are. And God can't deny his word. When he hears his word, he hears his will. And when he hears his will, he has to respond. He doesn't have a choice. He has to respond. When we pray according to his word, he hears us. And if he hears us, he has to respond. So we should consider the answers as though we've already had them. When I pray according to his will and I say amen, that's the end of it. I got it. But I can't see it yet. I don't care. I got it. Just because you can't see it, just because you can't feel it, doesn't mean it hasn't been answered and you don't have it. You just stand in thanksgiving and worship and joyful praise until you see it. But the answer is sure. I followed his instruction. God is a man that he can't lie. If he said that when, I, when he hears me, he'll give me the petitions I desire of him, that's what it means. James said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. But let him ask in faith. Let him ask in faith. Uh, nothing wavering. Uh, and if you waver, he says, you're like a wave on the sea driven with the wind and tossed. He says, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You either believe God or you don't. Don't be double-minded. Well, I could believe him for healing, but I can't believe him for finances. You're a double-minded man. You won't receive anything of the Lord like that. He's either God or he ain't. We have to come boldly, confidently before God's throne in our time of need. Also, we have to come in faith. We have to pray according to his word in faith. We have to believe that he is God and he will reward us. We have to believe that we will receive the things that we ask him for. But most people don't have the confidence, let alone the boldness. They don't have the confidence to approach God like that. And it's because you have a sense of condemnation. You have a sense of guilt, a sense of unrighteousness. And it's the devil that's giving you that sense. It's the devil that's messing with you. It's giving you an inferiority complex and it, it robs you of your faith. Faith in yourself, faith in God, and faith in his word. It robs you. It's a faith stripper. It will strip you of your faith. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you know you're not right before God, your heart will condemn you. Your heart, not God. God won't condemn you. Your heart will condemn you. The Holy Ghost will convict you, but your heart will condemn you. And when your heart is condemned, you have no confidence. You have no boldness to approach God. You're undeserving, unrighteous, and you don't have the, uh, the right to come before a big, awesome God like this. That's the way the devil make you feel. And it's not that you won't approach him boldly. You won't approach him at all. And that's exactly what the devil wants. Yes. He wants you living under a, a, a sense of condemnation, a sense of unrighteousness. It's holding you back. He wants you to be conscious of your sin and unconscious of the presence of God in your life. Amen. Like one guy said at the meeting, he says some people are self-conscious, some are sin-conscious, some are unconscious. Right. But we need to be God-conscious. Yeah. We need to be aware that God is around us and God is present with us all the time. See, you feel like you're not good enough or worthy enough to ask God for anything, let alone receive it from him. 
the sense of guilt, inferiority, failure, weakness. It will keep you from approaching God and it will hinder your relationship with him. And that's the biggest thing. The devil don't want us to have a relationship with God. You know, when my kids used to misbehave, believe it or not, they did. Sometimes my wife would tell them, just wait till your dad gets home. Now, don't get me wrong. Pastor Ed would take care of business. Just ask them. One time Mike didn't get his way, so he told Pastor Ed he was running away. Pastor Ed packed him a little bag, put his coat on him, pushed him out the door and locked the door. Mike never threatened to run away again. As a matter of fact, Mike never threatened anything after that. But every once in a while, she wanted them to have some dad discipline. And, and they didn't like that because they knew when I, when I got home, I'd light them up. Because when it come to dad discipline, it involved a whipping. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The talking was over. Pastor Ed done did the talking, the correcting. They were going to get a whipping. That was my job. So when I'd get home from work on a normal basis... They would always run to the door and greet me. Sometimes I'd bring them a candy bar. I'd grab a candy bar out of the machine on the way out of work and bring them a candy bar. So they'd run to meet me at the door. And any time I got home and they didn't run to meet me at the door, I knew something was wrong. I knew they did something wrong. And they didn't meet me at the door because they were laying low. They was hiding in their bedrooms. So they weren't feeling very confident in approaching me. They didn't feel very bold in approaching me. They felt guilty, and they knew they weren't in right standing with me at that moment. So they couldn't approach me. But that's how we are with God. I mean, when things aren't right with him or we've lost our confidence towards him, our boldness, we did something that we know doesn't please him. We won't approach him. We try to hide from him, just like they did. And remember Adam and Eve in the garden? They had a wonderful relationship with God. They would walk with God in the garden every day in the cool of the day. Every day in the garden, God would come down and they would run to meet him. Amen. Just like my kids did. But when they disobeyed God and they sinned against him, it changed everything. Because when God came into the garden that way, that day, they were nowhere to be seen. They didn't run and greet him like they did all the times before that. And God says, where are you, Adam? God knew where he was. He wanted to give Adam a chance to come forward. And uh, Adam says, well, I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. How do you know you're naked? Who told you? Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? God knew all these things. He knew Adam was going to mess up. They were hiding because now they were no longer God conscious. They were sin conscious. The only thing they were conscious of is their sin that they committed. And because of it, it caused them to draw back. It caused them to hide from God. They lost their confidence. They lost their boldness. And they lost their God consciousness. Amen. Terrible thing. They look forward to spending time in the garden except for that day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you know you're not right with God... Or when you know you are right with God, you've been putting him first in everything. You're reading the word, you're praying, you're walking in love, you're attending church, you're speaking in tongues, you're tithing, you're worshiping him. When you have been doing that, you know you're right with him, then 
You can approach him boldly. You can approach him confidently. Why? No consciousness of sin. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. So you go to him easily. See, we have to get rid of this sin consciousness, this feeling of unrighteousness and replace it with a God consciousness. But I don't always feel God. You don't need to always feel God. Because God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be with you. So if he said it, I believe it. That settles it. I am the righteousness of God in Christ and he's with me everywhere I go. I don't have to feel him. I know he's there. Why? Because he gave me his word. He said he'd be there. So we have to have a knowing that we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. If we don't, it's going to affect our relationship. But just like the relationship between me and my kids was affected, it was only temporary. Because once I judged them for their sin and I punished them, I hugged them, I loved on them. I said, you know why dad had to whip you, don't you? He says, yes, daddy, I know. I did such and such and it was wrong. I said, okay, son. And I restored them back to right standing. Go your way. Go play. Everything's all right. I didn't stay mad at them. I didn't let the, the... the feelings linger. I just restored them. And God does the same thing with us. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if I sin, I can confess my sins and know that he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me. I have to make that move towards him. He's waiting, but he wants me to be restored back to him. He don't want me hiding from him. Get that sin under the blood, son, and let's walk in the garden again. Hallelujah. So we have to replace the enemy's thoughts with God's thoughts. We have to be less aware of the storms and the circumstances that life sends our way and be more conscious of the fact that God is in the middle of the storm with us. Turn to Matthew 14, verse 22. I'm going to be reading it out of the Passion Translation. Brother Darrell, I don't know if you've used that very often. I, I don't know if I've ever used it, but... Since uh, he turned us on to it, I, I've been looking at it. It's a really good translation. Pastor Ed, uh, Matthew 14, 22 through 32. The Passion Translation. Jesus just feed, finished feeding 5,000 men along with their families. Uh, so that was 5,000 men. I don't know how many wives. I don't know how many children. But a lot of people. And he did it with five loaves of bread and two fish. And the Bible says, as soon as the people were fed, Jesus told his disciples to get into their boat and to go to the other side of the lake while he stayed behind to dismiss the people. Isn't that good? After the crowds dispersed, Jesus went up into the hills to pray. And as night fell, he was there praying alone with God. How many knows we need to do that every now and then? We need to get alone with God. Verse 24, but the disciples who were now in the middle of the lake ran into trouble for their boat was tossed about by the high winds and heavy seas. At about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the waves. And when the disciples saw him walking on the top of the water, they were terrified and screamed, a ghost. It would freak you out, too. Then Jesus said, be brave and don't be afraid. I am here. I am. 
Peter shouted out, Lord, if it's really you, he's still doubting. If it's really you, and what was he doubting? He was doubting the word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. Jesus is the word. And Jesus said, be not afraid, be brave, I'm here. Peter shouted out, Lord, if it's really you, then have me join you on the water. Come on and join me, Jesus replied. So Peter stepped onto the water and began to walk towards Jesus. But when he realized how high the waves were, he became frightened and started to sink. Save me, Lord, he cried out. How many knows that's the shortest prayer in the Bible? And it's a good prayer. It's, a, it's an excellent prayer. And it's a prayer that will bring results. Sometimes there, you don't have time to pray a long prayer. <laughs> Sometimes all you got time for is to say, save me, Lord. Sometimes all you got time to do is say, Lord. But I'm telling you, it's enough. And so, but when he realized how high the waves were, he became frightened and started to sink. Save me, Lord, he cried out. Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and lifted him up and said, What little faith you have. Why would you let doubt win? And the very moment they both stepped into the boat, the raging wind ceased. What little faith you have, why would you let doubt win? How often do we let doubt win in our lives? How often does our faith falter? And how often does our faith become little and we let doubt win over the circumstances? Another translation says, oh, you of a short burst of faith. A short burst of faith. I have them, don't you? Every once in a while I get a short burst of faith. I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. And then other times I looked at the wall and said, I can't jump over that. Why? My faith became little. What caused Peter to sink? He took his eyes off of Jesus and started looking at the storm. He started looking at the circumstances around him. And when he lost focus on Jesus, he lost his God consciousness because he was no longer conscious that God was on the water with him. But he was only conscious of the storm around him and fear filled his heart. So he sank. So he had a short burst of faith. And he walked on the water, but he walked on the water with puny faith. What would you be able to do with great faith? Hallelujah. He became conscious of the storm and the circumstances around him. Why would we do that? I'm not condemning nobody. I do it myself. Why do I uh, forget about God in the midst of the storm and start looking at the storm? Because it's boisterous, because it's blowing hard, because the waves are tall. It's knocking me from pillar to post. And that's easy to see. But sometimes it's not easy to see God in the middle of the storm. But yet that's where your faith comes in. Your little puny faith comes in. Your short bursts of faith. And you realize and recognize, hey, God is in the water with me. God is in this storm with me. And you get your eyes back on God. Focus on God. Don't look at the storm around you. It takes faith to do that. Jesus said, why did you let doubt win? So Jesus was disappointed because Peter let doubt win by losing consciousness of who was with him. And when you have a righteousness consciousness, when you know that you're the righteousness of God in Christ and you receive it 
you have a God consciousness, you're in right standing. So when a storm arises or a crisis hits, you don't look at the storm because you are so conscious of God, so full of God that the storm doesn't even bother you anymore. The circumstances don't bother you anymore. You don't worry about making the rent at the end of the month or the car payment or putting a tank of gas in the car or buying some groceries. You don't worry about those things because you're the righteousness of God in Christ and he, and he never let his seed bake for bread. You'll be so conscious of God, so focused on God that you'll get out of that boat and you'll start walking on the water. You'll start walking on your storms instead of letting them walk on you. And you won't be looking at all the distractions around you. And you'll be so focused on God, of God that you just walk right out of that storm with him. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But if you don't know who you are in God, then you'll have a highly developed sin consciousness, an inferiority complex, a sense of unworthiness and that, that will dominate you. And you will be flesh ruled and overcome with doubt rather than being spirit-filled and led by the Spirit. All you will have is a head knowledge faith. And that can't even know God, let alone find Him. You'll know of God, but you don't really know God. And, And the devil uses this sin consciousness to his advantage. He beats you over the head with it, and he keeps you in a state of condemnation, a state of feeling unworthy and unrighteous. And let me tell you something. You are unrighteous. You are unworthy outside of Christ. But when you're in Christ, he makes you worthy. He makes you righteous. You're the righteousness of God in Christ, not by yourself. You know, faith is so important to God. And the Bible tells us that we're to walk by faith and live by faith. And the Bible tells us that we have to please God by faith or with faith. Without faith, God is not pleased. So we were designed to live and walk by faith. God built us that way. And that's why he says we got to get in the word because faith is built in the word. His will is built in the word. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart, not in my head, that I might not sin against you. When we built our house out there in Taylorsville... I did all the painting and all the caulking, and it required me to climb a ladder to caulk the windows on the outside. And our house is pretty tall because we have a walkout basement, so, and the garage is underneath the house. We have nine-foot ceilings, and so the, from the uh, driveway floor to the peak of the house is about 60 feet. So from the driveway floor where I set up my ladder in front of the garage, to the first floor window was about 18 feet. 18 feet, that ain't too bad. And so I scurried up that ladder with my caulk gun on my hip and my rag and a a scraper. I scurried up that ladder, I caulked that first floor window. Great, no problem. Climbed down the ladder. Now it's time to do the second story window. Now that's 28 feet. 28 feet's a pretty good drop. So I stretched out that extension ladder. I started up that ladder. I got just about past the first floor window and I froze. I froze. I couldn't go any further. I was overcome with fear. Why? I mean, if I'd have fell at 18 feet, it would have killed me just as well as if I fell from 28 feet. But what was it about 28 feet that scared me? And just to let you know, I eventually got over that fear and I made it to the top of that ladder and I caulked that window up there. But, I mean, 
Why did I get in fear? Why did I freeze? I mean, if I fell from 18 feet or 28 feet, the result was going to be the same. It would probably be fatal. But here's my point. Don't be defeated because the circumstances change. I mean, don't be defeated because you already did it at 18 and 28 is no different. And what's the moral of the story? Don't be defeated because the circumstances change. Stay focused on God. Look at Mark 8.13. Mark 8.13 through 21. This is the New Living Translation. So he got back into the boat and left them. And he crossed to the other side of the lake. This time, the disciples were left behind. (laughs) But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food, and they had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod, who was the king. At this, they began to argue with each other because they they hadn't brought any bread. And Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? And obviously because the the key word that kicked them off was yeast. (laughs) But they're thinking carnally. Don't you uh, know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Uh Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he asked them. Don't you remember anything at all? I mean, don't you remember? You're worried about not bringing any bread. When I fed 9,000 men plus all their children and wives, and you're worried because you don't have any bread in the boat, don't you think I can make a loaf of bread after all of this? Don't you remember what I did? Why can't we remember? Why can't we remember the good things that God has done for us when we face a crisis or or have adverse circumstances? Why do we forget God all of a sudden? We forgot that he fed 5,000, 4,000 men, women, and children. We forgot all the miracles he's performed in our lives, the things he's done for us. We forgot it. We don't remember them anymore. Why? Because we're focused on the circumstances and the storm, and we've lost our God consciousness. And the point is this. If he did it before, he'll do it again. If he did it for somebody else, he'll do it for you. God is no respecter of persons. Never let the God of faith depart from your faith. Maintain your God consciousness. How? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, your own self-consciousness. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. That's how you stay God-conscious. You acknowledge Him in all your ways. Everything you do, you acknowledge God first. You maintain your God-consciousness by acknowledging Him. God, I know you're here. I know you're with me. You said you'd never leave me or forsake me. I mean, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should think? 
Give me an idea. You've done it for me before. I know you'll do it again. I'm having a little trouble right now. I'm, I'm trying not to doubt, but it's trying to overtake me. What do I do? And what, what am I doing? I'm acknowledging God. Let's take an offering. God, how much do you want me to give in this offering? I mean, don't are you reach in there and get that little old dollar and roll it up so tight it takes Pastor Ed 20 minutes to get his flat now. She has to iron it. Don't do that. Wait. Say, God, what would you have me to give today? Yeah, but God, that's my rent money. God will never tell you to give your rent money unless he's going to double it for you. Amen. Trust God. That's how you acknowledge God. That's how you trust God. God, what would you have me to give? What would you have me to do? You know, when we're in a restaurant or we're in a line at Starbucks or we're at a grocery store, me and Pastor, I say, God, what would you have us to do? God say, pay for that person's groceries. Did you see how big that cart was? Did you see how full that cart was? No, we don't ask God that because we don't care. If God told us to pay for those groceries, we must be able to pay for them. And he will return it to us a hundredfold. We don't worry about that anymore. There was a time when I said, get behind me, Satan. That ain't God. That's the devil talking, honey. He wants to break us. No. Pastor Ed had a valuable ring. And we were at Raymond. And we had this little old friend in a wheelchair. And uh, she come to class. She was in some of our class, not all of them. And she'd come to worship with us, church with us, and uh, sit near us and that. And uh, one day, Pastor Ed said she was sitting there like this, like she is now. and, And the Lord says, give her your ring. And it was a ring that I had bought her that she wanted for a long time. And it wasn't cheap. And uh, right away you think, carnal, you know, my husband have a fit. But no, if God told you to give the ring, you give it. And so she told me God said to give that ring to, what was her name? Susan. Susan. God told me to give that ring to Susan. I said, that ring? Yep. The one I bought you? Yep. (laughs) When I paid $500 for? Yep. I thought for a second, I thought, well, you better do it then. And then I said, are you sure? You sure God said it? And she would get that ring. We gave cars away like that. And, and, and at first you'll wrestle with things. But after a while, after God proves himself, you won't wrestle with them anymore. If God tells you to do something, you'll do it. Look at 1 Kings 18, and we'll close with this. Israel was misbehaving. They had a wicked king. They were worshiping idols. And uh, so God had Elijah speak to that king and says, you're not going to see any rain in the land for three and a half years until I say otherwise because of your wickedness. And so three and a half years of drought. Three and a half years, well, not three and a half years of famine. I don't know when the famine started, but if you don't have any rain, the crops are going to dwindle down, and sooner or later you're going to run out of food. But they had three and a half years of drought, uh, a good time of famine. And so in Kings 18, 1 Kings 18, 20, it says, So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Now, these weren't Israel's prophets. These were Jezebel's prophets, there was 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Ashtaroth. 
And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal be God, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Why? Sin conscious. They were caught red-handed. They knew they were wrong. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. And then he didn't measure, mention it here, but there was also 400 other prophets of Ashtaroth. So 850 false prophets of Jezebel's. Verse 23, let them therefore give us two bullocks or two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bull and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And you call in the name of your gods, I'll call in the name of the Lord. And the God that answers by fire, we're going to agree right now that he's the real God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. In other words, they agreed with it. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourself and dress it first. For if you are many and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire on them. And they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry louder, for if he is a god, either he is talking or he is pursuing something, or he is on a journey, or poor adventure, he sleepeth and must be awakened. <laughs> and they cried louder and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was passed, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. So Baal didn't answer them. Their gods failed them. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob or Israel, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, a moat of some type. He dug a trench all the way around the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. That's a whole lot of seed. It's a big uh, trench. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Well, how many knows that water is scarce at this time? So that was a real sacrifice to come up with four barrels of water. And he said, Do it again a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench with water also. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let, me, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. I mean, that's a simple prayer. He didn't dance from morning till noon. 
He didn't cut himself. He didn't holler and cry and dance on the altar. He just said, hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. See, he wasn't conscious about himself. It's like uh, John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. As, uh, is Elijah saying here, I must decrease, you must increase. I'm putting my focus on you. I'm putting my consciousness on you, not on these people, not on this altar, not on anything around me. Because if you fail to answer me, I'm dead anyway. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. In other words, they have become conscious of you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up all the water that was in the trench. (laughs) Hallelujah. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Hallelujah. What happened? Elijah restored their confidence in God. Elijah restored their consciousness in God. And now they have become God conscious again. Hallelujah. I mean, like this one guy at Raymond said, I don't know a whole lot about fires, but I've, I've lit a few. And I do know one thing. You don't wet the wood before you try to light it. And God answered by fire. He showed up so strong that he let those people know that he was the one true God. And and he gave them back their God consciousness. They suddenly became conscious of God because if he did it to that sacrifice and the stones and the wood and the water in the ditch, he could send lightning down on them and wipe them out just as easy. So they became God conscious. I guarantee you they had a worship and a praise and worship session right there. But here's the moral. Before the sound of the rain, there had to be some sacrifices. There had to be some repairs because after that, he went up on the top of Mount Carmel. He put his head between his legs, which means he started praying. And he had a servant. He said, go, go stand on the hill and tell me what you see. He come back seven times, six times, said, I don't see anything. He said, go again, seven times. He just kept praying. The seventh time the servant returned, he says, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand off in the horizon, off in the distance. And Elijah says, get yourself up and start heading toward Jezreel because there's going to be a gully washer in about five minutes. And it wasn't long after that, the skies turned black and it started raining like crazy. And the Bible says, Elijah girded up his loins. He pulled his smock or whatever they call him up and he outran the king's chariots to Jezreel 50 miles. 50 miles anointed uh, to run 50 miles. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But here's the thing. Before the sound of that rain, they had to make some sacrifices. They had to make some repairs. They had to make some changes and adjustments. God wants to bless us, but he's waiting for us to make some adjustments in our life. He's waiting for us to change some things. I mean, he's wanting us to get back to the spirit-filled life, the life that we were intended to live. And if you stay filled, you'll never get depressed. If you stay filled, that sin that's been overcoming you lately won't be able to overcome you again. You'll be so aware of God, so conscious of God, so oblivious to the storm and the circumstances around you that you'll be filled with joy again. And Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hallelujah. You'll be strong again. 
strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now I know there's some in here. Just look straight ahead. Try not to smile and nobody will know I'm talking about you. But we've let some of our altars fall. Some of us have altars that need to be repaired. And we've lost respect for the things of God. We've lost respect for God's leaders. We've lost respect for uh, the things of God. We've lost respect in praise and worship. Our minds wander. We, we, we're so unaware of God's presence anymore. All we can think about is what's happening out there. But I'm telling you, if you'll focus on God and regain your God consciousness, repair the altars that you let fall and fail, and, and raise your hands and praise God, then back on the ranch while you're in here praising God and worshiping God with a true spirit of worship, God will be doing things behind the scenes. God will be taking care of some of them things you've been worried about. He says, seek me first and my righteousness. Seek me first in the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. You're in a mess right now because you forgot how to praise God. You forgot how to worship God. You've lost your altars. You not only let them get in disrepair, you've lost them. You don't even know where they are anymore. Rebuild your altars. We got to the place where people decide they don't need to go to church because they can watch it on TV. We don't need to pray or read the word. That's pastor's job. We've lost our awareness. We've lost our God consciousness. We've become sin conscious, double conscious, unrighteousness conscious. we become unconscious and we need to get our consciousness back on God. We need to understand who we are in God, who he says we are. Not what anybody else says you are. Not even who you think you are. Not how you feel you are. But who he said you are. And if you have to, every minute of every day, say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And the devil says, you don't look too righteous. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Then why did you do what you did last night? I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And you keep saying it till you receive it. You keep saying it until it drops in your spirit like a coin in a vending machine. Clink. And when it hits your spirit, you'll stand up and you'll say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And when you know it, then you've received it. It's no longer just a phrase. It's a revelation to you. But you, it's hard to believe. I had, it took me years to comprehend that I was the righteousness of God in Christ. Oh, them are nice words, but uh, that ain't talking about now. Especially ain't talking about me. It's talking about when I die and go to heaven, I'll be the righteous. No, you're the righteousness of God in Christ right now. Or it would have said when you get to heaven, you'll be the righteousness of God. He said when you're born again, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new and you become the righteousness of God in Christ. Why do I know that? Because Jesus died on the cross to Restore me back to right standing with my God. Hallelujah. I'm bold. I'm confident because I know who my God is and I know who dwells in me. The greater one is in me. Not in the world. He's in me. And this is the confidence that we have if we ask anything according to his will. He hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have the petitions that we desire of him. Hallelujah. Let's stand on our feet. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Father, I spoke to these people what I believe to be the words that you gave me to speak to them. And I just pray that I spoke boldly enough, confidently enough, with enough assurance, God, that I made it believable to them that they are who you say they are. And no matter how, how they felt when they came in here, who they thought they were when they came in here, I want them to leave knowing that, number one, you love them. You love them enough to send Jesus to die for them, a hideous death on the cross, to redeem them, to buy them back from what the devil stole. And you love them enough to give them your son's righteousness. And when you look down on them, you don't see their sin. You don't see their flesh. You see the righteousness of your son Christ in them. You look at them through a blood-stained window. You look, through, you look at them through blood-stained glasses. And you don't see their sin. You see the blood that was sacrificed. And that's what makes us righteous. That what, that's what puts us back into right standing with you. And Lord, if they didn't get anything else out of this message today, I pray in Jesus' name that they realize who they are in Christ. That they can get their confidence back, their boldness back. And yes, I realize we're going to miss it. I realize I'm going to miss it. I'm going to do things that are not pleasing to you. But I thank God that I have an advocate with the Father. Someone that will step in for me. Someone who is intercessing for me. I thank you, Lord, that I have someone that can forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness because of the blood. And put me back into right standing with you. And I not only have to know that, I have to receive it. I have to believe by faith that what you said you'd do, you did. If you said you'd forgive me, you forgave me. If you said you'd restore me back into right standing with you, then you restored me back into right standing with you. I receive that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Is there anybody here today that needs prayer for anything? We'd be happy to pray with you. Hallelujah. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.